It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the show. My name is Kay Wenigal, and today we're going to be exploring how parts of the media and politicians constantly talk about how costly climate action on climate change is. We will investigate the real cost of climate change and the cost of not acting on climate change. To explain what's happening, really, we have Tom Compass, Professor of Environmental Economics and Biosecurity at the University of Melbourne, who's been doing modelling of economic damage due to climate change. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kay. It's good to be here. Tom, what prompted you to investigate the link between the environment and the economics? So... I came to the view that that economists have been vastly, greatly underestimating the damages from climate change, starting with the original so-called DICE model by William Nordhaus, which earned earned him a Nobel. Whereabouts was that? Uh, That's in Yale. He's at Yale and earned him a Nobel Prize. It's a well-known computational model that you can get online on your computer and sort of map out the damages and other kinds of things. uh, And how long ago did he do that? Uh, It was sort of it sort of became popular in the '90s. I oh, think it was developed, ago. yeah, developed in the 80s. I, I can't quite, I'm not quite sure, but I think developed in the 80s. Um, um, so the damages that come from that DICE model, on average, for the globe, even at very high temperature levels, like business as usual, three or four degree increases in temperature. And now some are saying six degrees. Well, that's right. And it looks like that's exactly right. Um, even even with those high temperature increases, the damages, the losses on average in global income were only two or three percent. Um, initially, they were one and a half percent, and then he softened that view a bit. You just know that's not right. You know the damages are much larger than that. And I got frustrated as an environmental economist. I wanted to try and find out what the actual damages would be in a well-developed model. And what I found is that when you average, like William Nordhaus does in the DICE model, you miss the variation in damages around the globe. You miss the the heterogeneity and the damages that could occur. And in fact, when you do things in a bit more proper way, the losses in incomes, national incomes, range from 2% all the way out to 28 or 30%, depending upon country. So if you miss the tales of those distribution, if you miss the variance, if you miss the heterogeneity, you really miss the story when it comes to damages for climate change. I've come to hate averaging. I don't like averages. Well, I is, just don't like it. Is that like the the change in temperatures around the world? You know, with some areas, you know, it's 0.2 degrees and some areas it's 4.2 degrees. And so if you average it, it sounds like a you know nice reasonable figure that uh, you can cope with. And indeed, the economic averaging is done basically on it, – it depends on size of economies. Mm. So if the economies that are very large don't get l- large damages, that affects the average as well. 
Um, in terms of the damages, most of them, in fact, occur around the equator in Southeast Asia and Africa and uh, parts of South Asia, okay. um, and, and not so much in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, but we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending on what temperature yeah, you're talking about. depending on what temperature you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Exactly right. So I was frustrated. I wanted to do better. And I still think I underestimate the damages myself. Uh -huh. um, even though I'm doing doing much better than the sort of dice model, I still think I don't capture all of them. Because you probably can't include everything. Right. So you've mentioned that there are some effects already, but w what do you actually see is happening at the moment? Well, I think, I think climate change is happening faster than we thought, or at least the effects of climate change are happening much faster than we thought. Uh, there's more destructive hurricanes. There's fires on every continent now mm. except Antarctica. Um, so far. So far. Well... That's right. And, and the ice is melting in Antarctica. Sea level is rising. It's accelerating. Um, it's threatening island nations, major cities, coastal cities, coastal areas. Um, water supplies are shrinking in many parts of the world. Things are getting drier. Droughts are affecting farms and livelihoods and food security. Ocean is warming, becoming more acidic. I work in this area as well, destroying coral reefs and harming fish populations. And we get record high temperatures. You just mentioned a minute ago, record high temperatures in many parts of the world. The average may have increased by one degree, but if you go to Saudi Arabia or parts of India, uh, no way. Temperature is much larger on average there. It's becoming almost unlivable in some parts of the world. Um, and, you know, the number of climate refugees are increasing, and that's going to continue to grow. Exponentially? Um, exponentially, I'm not so sure, but uh, <laughs> maybe for a time, it, yes. It, but it, An it, increasing growth. It will increase, for mm. sure. Um, you know, so, so some of the damages we'll talk about in Southeast Asia will imply massive changes in population, and I suspect uh, a huge amount of uh, migration, or at least attempted migration. You compared the cost of damages from climate change with the cost of reducing emissions from the recent Climate Council report for economic change damages under current or continued increases in emissions. Can you actually take us through the global modelling that you did? Yeah, so this is a very large dimensional, what makes it unique, it's a very large dimensional global climate and trade model based on what's called the GTAP framework, which is a global trade database, um, where you combine climate effects with trade, with damages from climate change, and also emissions reduction scenarios. Very large dimensional, 140 countries across 68 different commodity groups, from agriculture all the way out to renewables and everything in between, manufacturing and so on. So it's a very large dimensional model trying to back out all the effects for specific countries. That's the model structure itself. And you run that model and embed inside of it what are called damage functions. So you ask the question, if temperature increases, what's the loss in agricultural productivity? What's the loss in labor productivity because of heat stress in particular? How much will sea level rise affect coastal areas? We have inundation effects. We have flooding. Um, you know, those sorts of effects are captured and then embedded inside the model in this global trading relationship, this global, global sort of trade and climate model. So what you are missing, for example, are many of the sea level rise effects that could, in fact, be much larger than just inundation effects. Uh, you're missing some of that, and you're also missing things like bushfires. So why are you which missing those? Yeah, we haven't been able to calibrate it correctly yet. We're working on bushfires now, what the effects would be. We know climate change... Um, is, is making those conditions worse. Uh, things are getting drier, so bushfires are getting more, more intense and more severe. We know that's happening, but we haven't been able to measure the sort of damages that might occur at various temperature levels for that yet. 
We're working on that. So who is we? Are there people around the world working on this? So I've got is a team it? at Melbourne Uni that, yeah. that helps me with this, this uh, work. It's uh, called the Center for uh, Environmental and Economic Research at Melbourne Uni. Um, uh, but there are people around the world. I was just, I'm just back from Potsdam in Germany where they're working mm. on damage functions. At a, mm. at a place called the Potsdam Institute of Climate Research. So, yeah, that's right. So, so uh, we are working on that. People are working on it, but it's a, you know, it's a tough ask, yeah. particularly in this large dimensional model because you've got to map it out for every one of these 140 yeah. countries. But at least you're getting some sort of indication of what isn't being included and what is being included, what, what the changes are that need to be addressed. Well, we know we're underestimating. Uh, we know that we're not including all the things we should. Biodiversity impacts is another good one. Mm. I've got a little bit on Australia for that, but it's not included. But even now, even with not including those things, we know that under any scenario, any scenario we look at, uh, the damages from climate change are far greater than the cost of emissions reduction. So it's a no-brainer for, for people like me. We need to start reducing emissions. So you mentioned a few of the scenarios that you'd model. Do they change you know, just now you mentioned about biodiversity. Is that now a new thing that you're going to be modelling? Yeah, so I'm working with a person named Brendan Wintel at Melbourne Uni, and we're looking at land use effects with climate change and the effects on, on potentially on biodiversity. That work is coming as well. Um, and we've got a measure. I can talk about it if you like. We've got a measure for biodiversity loss in Australia out to 2050, given, given business as usual. So we're starting to do that. Mm -hmm. But at the moment in the model, the main effects are losses in agriculture and labor productivity, some sea level rise, and some other sort of smaller effects that okay. occur. Well, let's get on to those. Um, what temperatures did you model? So... It's, a, it's an integrated assessment model, so it includes RCPs and SSPs, if, if your RCPs audience knows. RCPs and SSPs. Yeah, so it's, it's a combined climate model with uh, the economic model. Um, in simple terms, it just looks at sort of what happens if temperatures globally rise by 2 degrees, 3 degrees, or 4 degrees. And indeed, it has some local temp temperature variations as well, so it's not just global averages. So it's basically business as usual in this model is about 4.5 degrees. Um, increase in global temperatures by 2100 and we model everything from 2 to 4.5. Okay and c could you actually describe the model itself? Yeah it's, it's very it's a it's a computational model so yeah. when you have 140 countries across 60 plus commodity groups where these countries can trade all these goods and services and you've got damage functions incorporated inside it's a very large a computational model, a set of equations and a set of unknowns that determine the effects as a result of increases in temperature. It's about a half a billion equations. Mm -hmm. It's uh, coded in C, the programming language, mm -hmm. run on parallel processing, using parallel processing techniques. In fact, I run a component of the model at home uh, on six, six computers oh. in a bedroom um, in parallel and try and get results that way. We've got a bigger system at Melbourne Uni, and we use the mainframe as well. Mm. So it's so a big computational mathematical model. Which takes some time to yeah, chug through all the That's data. right, because you've got all these interrelationships, all these connections between countries in terms of exports and imports and flows mm. of, you know. And, of course, you'd have to keep that up to date because that would change. And, and, and actually, quite right, and the GTAP, GTAP group in Purdue, Indiana, who develops the data set, do keep it up to date. Mm -hmm. So we don't construct much of that data. We just use the GTAP data and add right. damage functions to it. Yeah, right. That's um, that's good to know because otherwise, you know, you are even being more conservative with your results, I would imagine, or at least different. Yep. So 
let's talk about the the findings that you found, and um, perhaps we start with the global cum- cumulative GDP for each of the temperature impacts that you talked about the two, three, and four degrees. Right. So if you if you measure the losses that would occur at those various degree levels uh, from now until twenty one hundred, cumulative, right? You just add them up going forward, starting from today. At two degrees, they're uh, about well, let's, let's take the business as usual case. That's the interesting one. Uh, they're about $604 trillion in losses. Um, $604 trillion. Right. Much larger than the usual estimates, I might add. And what does that mean, $604 trillion? Uh, it's a big number. Yeah. Um, it, it's perhaps better to think about it in terms of losses of national income, what economists call GDP. Um, because as I said earlier, it ranges. It ranges from three to about 28 percent, two to about 28 percent around the world. Uh, the average losses might not be that large, but the losses for individual countries are enormous and can be enormous. That's how those numbers add up. That's how you get 604 trillion. So, for example, um, the losses in GDP during the global financial crisis in 2009 were about four or five percent loss in GDP. And that was uh, quite devastating worldwide um, in terms of the recession effects that were generated. The losses in the Great Depression are about, uh, they range from about 15 to 17 percent. So the losses for some countries by this measure are up to 28 percent. Um, and they range again. They range again. It's enormous. These would be these would be catastrophic outcomes for countries like the Philippines or Indonesia or Vietnam, uh, parts of South Asia, uh, parts of Africa. We can talk about Australia in a minute. But the really severe changes come in that those parts of the world. So the worst are in Asia and Africa. Southeast Asia in particular, South Asia, Africa. So the Philippines gets a twenty percent loss in their national income. Um, Singapore sixteen percent. So it's not just developing countries. Uh, Thailand, 17%. Indonesia, 19%. Um, Africa, 18 to 26% losses in GDP. These are catastrophic outcomes. These are economy meltdowns. And, of course, they're catastrophic outcomes for the rest of the world because, you know, fine, you talk about income, but what are the consequences of that? Yeah, and remember, this model is an interconnected model. So if you have, you have, if you have big losses in, in countries like in Southeast Asia, it will affect places like Australia and the rest of the world. So and they are all interconnected, and that's how you add up all these numbers. You've got these very large damages. And what sort of effects could we expect for um, the rest of the world? Well, at, at those sorts of losses, there'd be severe unemployment in these countries. I mean, the Great Depression with a 15% loss in GDP was uh, generated an unemployment rate of about 25%. Uh, maybe a third, one out of three people lost their job. For a period of time, uh, imagine losses in the neighborhood of twenty percent in GDP or twenty-five percent in GDP. This this is a world we have. We don't even know what this world looks like, really. Uh, but it would be catastrophic. So you'd have mass migration. You'd have that tendency. You'd have people who'd want to move. I mean, you can see it in Latin America and South America already. Um, you know, they want to move to. They want to move north. Mm. Um, a, a good part of the reason for that is climate change effects. Mm. Um, and if these things start to compound, as they apparently will, you'll get more tendency for migration. There's no doubt. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Professor Tom Compass from the University of Melbourne. Tom, as well as um, mass migration, you'd have all sorts of food and water stresses, uh, trade stresses. It's it's quite scary, really, isn't it? Uh, Look, for people like me who work in this area, it's... uh 
it's it's sometimes is a, a little bit uh, you get despondent. It's yeah, uh, it's a bit depressing imagine. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but but what you you touched on water. That's a severe issue. Um, uh, the model I have at the moment doesn't include water effects, and it should. And we know they're going to be profound. I mean, Australia is a classic example for that. You know, things are getting very dry. And Australia has water problems? Who would have thought? Oh, yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? It'd be nice <laughs> if it had problem. a water management policy, but it doesn't have that. Um, not really. <laughs> um, but it's going to get worse. And, and in various parts of the world, this will be the case as well. I mean, a, a number of the glaciers are melting, and these provide water for you know, a good part of the world, a, good, a num- you know, huge number of population. Um, so, so a lot of people depend on these glaciers for water, and those are, those are disappearing. And so you're talking about business as usual at the moment. Can we get on to uh, other things like t- uh, two degrees and four degrees? A- again, with business as usual perhaps, but mm. the, all the things that you're saying make the whole situation much, much worse and affect GDP a, a lot more. So what are the differences? Yeah, so they ramp up at 4 degrees or 4.5 degrees. At 2 degrees, it's about a $171 trillion. At 3 degrees, it's $280 trillion. Um, at 4 degres again, we're back to the 600-plus trillion. So it, it, it pays to keep the global temperature lower and lower if possible, and it is possible. So tell me again, run through the differences in the Yeah, the, so it's about, it's about $170 trillion at 2 degrees. Those are the potential cumulative damages from now until 2100. Uh, about $280 trillion at 3 degrees. And $604 trillion at uh, 4 degrees, the business as usual case. And remember, these are not including the effect of things like bushfires. It's not including a good part of the infrastructure damages that go at sea level rise. You know, the cost of losing Miami or Singapore or Ho Chi Minh City isn't in here yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's missing those sorts of things. It's missing some of the human health effects as well. Um, well, so a lot these of are, them, when you look at what Sydney's going through at the moment, and, and I hear on the news that they're worried about the golf tournaments because they, they might have very hazy conditions. Well, exactly right, Kay. I mean, the, the, the human health effects in this model so far are only those that are due to heat stress, largely. So, you know, you can't work as hard, your productivity's lower because it's just, it's just too darn hot. Uh, it's not counting a lot of the pollution effects yet. So when I talk about $604 trillion and losses in GDP from 2% to 28%, these are underestimates. Um, and, and I sometimes worry about how vast the underestimate is, but they're underestimates. This is, this is really difficult uh, things to think about. It's uh, potentially catastrophic. Mm, absolutely. So do you look at the cost of mitigation as compared to the the losses? We do, and we could maybe focus on Australia for that, if you like, because okay. that's, a, that's a good case well, that's to look a, at. a good thing for us to know, isn't it? Yeah, it is good. Um, it, but again, in general, the cost of, of emissions reduction is always far less than these damages, even though I've underestimated damages, mm-hmm. right? So keep that in mind. Um, so if you think about the damages in particular for Australia, you can start to add them up as well. And it's, you know, Australia is one of the countries in this 140-country set. So you get, uh, you get infrastructure damages and property losses, and you're starting to see this already with increases in insurance premiums for properties that are near coastal areas of about $611 billion from now until 2050. So that's a 30-year period with $611 billion in damages. Productivity losses for ag and labor, about $151 billion over the next 20 years, which ramp up to $4 trillion at 2100. Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a, yeah... Um, 
That is asymptotic. It's, it's very bad. It is exponential, as you said. Uh, exponential, sorry. And And biodiversity loss is about $250 billion. So all up, you get from now until 2050, you get about a $1.2 trillion loss in Australian income. So that's huge. And, and, and again, that's an underestimate. We know it's an underestimate. No bushfires there, for example. Um, what's the cost of emissions reduction? Any scheme we look at, any scheme we look at is less than that. So what we've modeled so far is a 70% share renewables by 2050, something that's consistent with um, a Paris target, a little better than a Paris target. Mm. So not good enough. No. Not good enough, but that's where we started. And in that case, the, the cost of emissions reduction is about $145 billion. So you're comparing $145 billion in the cost of emissions reduction to $1.2 trillion in damages in Australia. It's about an 8 to 1 trade-off. Wow. So, yeah, would you spend a dollar to get 8 back? Absolutely. We do it in every other way. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, those policies that generate falls in emissions really aren't a cost in a sense because much of it is just investment and things that are really quite good. Uh, Renewable energy, for example, right? Yeah. Um, What's wrong with that? Yeah, creates jobs and, you know, generates less pollution. Yeah. So it's quite good. Um, It's quite clear we should do that. So if you have a more aggressive target, the cost increases, but it's still far less than the damages that you would get from business as usual or from not acting at all. Mm. And the risks of climate change poses for the Australian economy, once framed purely as an environmental issue, but as a Deputy Governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia, Guida Bell noted earlier this year, these risks are first order and have a knock-on implication for the macroeconomic policy. Is that correct? No, I think that's true. Um, um, Well, with business as usual and temperature increases, agriculture suffers greatly in Australia. that $4 trillion figure out to 2100 means most farms will be under severe stress. Um, it just can't handle that temperature increase. Mm. So that will cause trouble. Um, uh, but it's, it's not just agriculture, it's other parts of the economy. Sea level rise, which we're worried about in various parts of Australia at the moment. I'm getting called to do work on, on um, um, south, southeast Victoria at the moment. Um, that will generate severe losses. Inverloch area? Yeah. Yeah, so so that's going to also occur, um, but there will also be sort of trade impacts as well as well as a result of the rest of the world having trouble with climate change. It's going to affect the Australian economy. Um, it's quite clear it's 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 a, an economy wide effect. It's not just about agriculture. It's not just about property values being uh, uh, being lost as a result of sea level rise. It goes through the entire economy. What about the opportunity cost, a lag out of worldwide transition? to a zero-carbon community. We're already missing out on the opportunities of producing solar panels and EVs. We have the opportunity of producing low-carbon input resources or metals and renewable energy for export, as BZE's pointed out in its its recent reports, and that reduces the dependence on fossil fuels, which Hmm. then become obsolete. Right. So we have the solutions. We know how to fix this problem. and there's all kinds of things being talked about. Direct air, carbon capture, carbon capture, hydrogen, uh, renewables, of course. Um, of course, renewables. All kinds of things are there in place. We can do something about it. Um, here's the thing. The longer we wait to act, the more costly it becomes to act. 
these numbers we've talked about this morning yeah. are assuming, yeah, assuming yeah. some positive action in terms of emissions reduction to get that eight to one trade-off. But the longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes. Uh, and in some cases, if you reach tipping points or other things happen, you may not be able to fix it. There are kinds of irreversibilities in the system, like biodiversity losses, that we won't be able to recover yeah, exactly. from. Yeah, you can't reverse that. Okay, so we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, I noticed in the Climate Council report that they had similar findings and they found with the property market they're expected to lose $571 billion by 2030 due to climate change and extreme weather and you pointed out the issues with water and rising sea level and that obviously will continue to rise as the decades go along. Yeah, so I was a co-author on that report, and, and my good friend okay. Carl, Carl Mellon, who was, who was the person who did much of the infrastructure damage work in that report, is the one who came up with those numbers. Um, it's actually at 2050, it's about $611 billion. At 2030, about, yeah, 570 I think it's 570 So it's it's a lot. Yeah. You can see it in insurance premiums already. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at increases of three or four times for insurance premiums for properties that are near the coast. And uh, it, that's coming. Another one was the accumulated loss of wealth due to the um, reduced agricultural productivity and labour productivity as a result of climate change is projected to exceed $19 billion by 2030. Yeah, that's, that's partly my work. In Australia uh-huh. alone, about $4 trillion, uh, but globally huge. Um, there's a real food security problem coming. Uh, heat stress That's in agriculture really is scary, really, isn't it? it's it's quite scary because heat stress itself in agriculture will be devastating, not to mention the bushfires and the floods and the other things that will occur as well. Yeah, so I think we've only got about a minute to go. Um, there, there is a question I need to ask. You've just t- touched on food security. How would the system cope with a really sharp economic change like a massive ecological or social collapse or simply just a carbon bubble bursting at a speed, say, 10 times worse than a GDP? I don't think it would cope. Um, even, even these numbers we've talked about are devastating. Um, so something like a tipping point or a carbon bubble burst would be, would be more so. I just don't know how the system would cope. We're in uncharted territory here. Mm. You know, we're, we're facing a world, a future, that we don't know much about. We don't have much experience with, and it's scary. It looks scary. Mm. So when you start to outline things like that, which aren't included in my modeling framework, well, yeah, that is really alarm bell time. You have to wonder. Um, and do you think that's a possibility? I think it is, and 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 scientists are now talking about tipping points. So as, well, the as, tipping points seem to be being reached much and much more quickly. Well, that's what they think, possibly. Right. Um, it, it's a worry. It's a problem. We've got to act now. So I think we've our time is just about up. Um, thanks very much, Tom. And where can listeners find out a little bit more about this? Uh, they can check. They can find me on on you know Google search. Um, I've got a web page, TomCompass.org. Um, it's not hard to find stuff. Let send me an email if you like. Easy okay. to find. All yep. right, just email BZE and we'll get onto Tom. Thanks very much, Tom. Pleasure. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the show and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. 
Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.